Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day outside, isn't it? It's a beautiful day to be here. Um, If you look on your seats, you're going to see a sheet that says why and how we fast. Does everyone have one of those sheets or have one near you? Um, This week, as as we've been praying for the church, I just really sense my own heart. There's... There's an, really kind of the life of we're, we're a planted church. If you're new here, we, we've planted here by Crosspoint and Living Word together. And we've been so blessed by just the support we've, we've received from those two churches. And so um, we were planted out about seven or eight months ago. And part of the things with planting a church is it's a lot of fun in the very beginning. I mean, it's like this excitement. There's this new church reaching a new community. We've got a whole new missions field. And we're ready to go. And we're on a mission from God. And so, you know, we, we plant the church and it, it's all good. And all along, everything we've read and heard about church planting is that there comes a point where it begins to get hard. That church planting's difficult. And so we read that and we think, well, this is great. I mean, it's kind of like, this isn't that hard. This isn't difficult. Everyone's excited. Everyone's got all this energy. You know, we're going to work and plant and we're going to do all this stuff and reach a community. Well, as time goes on, that kind of like honeymoon stage, you kind of leave that honeymoon stage and begin to kind of get into like the real world of doing church, the real life of church. And I think we're kind of at that point as a church. And so this week, what, we, what we're going to do is have a week of, of prayer and fasting as a church. Because we don't want to just settle in as a church and just become kind of complacent or comfortable with what God's given us to do. That's the last place we want to be is this is kind of this comfortable, nice church. We'll just do nice church. We'll just kind of settle in and kind of go about our days and kind of show up. And, and, and we'll participate a little bit, but really have no lasting effect on our lives. And so we want to press in and ask Almighty God, like that song we sang, talking about the sound of revival coming. We believe if we're going to see any amount of revival not only in the community, but in our own hearts as well, it's going to come because Almighty God has been at work doing something that we ourselves are unable to do. We are unable to bring revival in our own hearts, let alone in a community or in a town or in a family or in a neighborhood. It is the work of Almighty God working before us and through us and around us that allows us to see any kind of fruit or change. And so we are going to come together this week and we are going to beseech Almighty God that He would do a work in our lives and in this community in in a powerful way that we would see revival, that we would see life change, that we would see our hearts melted before God and barriers removed and and us experiencing more of the Lord in our lives and in His church, in His community. And so I believe in order for us to see that, There needs to be a foundation that is laid. And that foundation, I believe, is prayer. Corporate prayer. We're going to come together this week from 7.30 to 8.30 every night in this place. And we're going to seek Almighty God. And there's a number of things we need to pray for. We need to pray for the sick. Um, We need to pray for our town. We need to pray for our church. And so we're going to do that this week. And it's important enough for us that we're going to cancel Life Share this week. We're going to cancel anything else we have going on. And we're going to be here from 7.30 to 8.30 every single night.
And so I want to encourage you. I want to um, strongly urge you to be there at those meetings. That you, I know we're all busy and I know it's last minute. But as we were praying this week, we just felt this can't wait another week. We just can't say, okay, we'll do that next week. Or when we have enough time to plan or when we have enough, you know, have enough babysitters or whatever it is, we need to do this right now. We need Almighty God to be at work in us in this town. So we're going to do that this week. So I encourage you, read this paper and how and why we fast. I don't have time to go over it with you, but if, if you don't have a copy, you can pick one up at the uh, sound booth on your way out. But go through this. Make some decisions. Make some goals this week. Seek the Lord corporately as a body going before God, okay? All right. I also want to say as well that we are having baptisms after the second service. So if you're here today at this service, um, you've been elected to uh, help prepare all the food and everything for us for the second service. No, but Matt and Allie are going to be, um, no, Matt and Ladera are going to be heading up the um, kind of preparation of food. So if you can stick around and you can help out, kind of get some stuff ready, we'd love that. It'd be a real service to the rest of us. But we're going to try to cut the services a little bit shorter so we can have more time to really celebrate the baptisms afterwards, okay? All right, if you guys want to turn with me to Ephesians 3. This is week number 7 of the, our series on Ephesians. We are chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3. George Washington Carver, the scientist who achieved wonders with a humble peanut, used to tell this story. When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, then God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. And God said, George, that's more nearly your size. And so he told me. We love mysteries. We love mysteries in books and in movies. But we don't really like mysteries in our own lives, do we? And the mystery in the Bible is, is something like as a puzzle, but not really. I mean, it's something that we didn't necessarily understand, but now it's been revealed to us by God. And so as we read this text, it mentions mystery a, a couple of times. And so we're going to see, Lord, what is this mystery saying, and how do, we, how do we understand this for our own lives? So mystery is not something we could not have otherwise understood unless God reveals it to us. So as Paul begins to talk about mystery, he's saying, look, there's something that people did not understand before, but now God has revealed it to us, and therefore we now know the mystery. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come before you this morning and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word. God, give us a love for your word. Give us an understanding of your word, of what you are saying to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us remove distractions, help us to fix our eyes upon you. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to worship you as we hear your word. And God, we pray that we'd be able to begin to apply this into our lives. Lord, I pray you'd help me to speak clearly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I'll make a couple observations in the first few verses here that aren't necessarily the main point of this passage, but are yet are important. And he says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, or for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul isn't talking about, as, as an apostle, as a church planner, he's not talking about his relationship to the church being like imprisoned to them. Or like the church is his ball and chain or something. Like, man, you know, I love you guys, but it just feels like, man, I'm in bondage to all the demands you make on me and all the things that you try to get me to do for you. He's not saying that at all. Paul's actually in prison. He's in prison. And so sometimes for Paul, you could imagine him getting ready to plant churches. I mean, this is the guy whose God has called and set apart and said, go be a missionary, go plant churches, go do amazing things for God, travel the world, talk to kings and rulers. Paul's probably so excited, man. This is like what he's been called to do. He's been set apart by God. There's amazing things happening in his life. There's revivals breaking out. Man, there's people getting healed, people getting set free from idolatry and witchcraft in, in, the, in the Ephesian church. And man, it is like, it's an amazing thing happening. It's like this honeymoon phase of, uh, of church planning going on. But now he finds himself in prison. He's in prison. What like a screeching halt to the excitement of his life. Here he was traveling the world, planning churches. Now he's stuck in prison. It's not going the way he thought it would. Planning a church can sometimes be like that as well. You know what? It's a lot of fun, but there's times when it is hard work. Man, when we, gotta, when we need half the church to participate in children's ministry, when you're working the sound booth or in the worship team, and you are here from 6 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon, it is a long morning on a Sunday. It can be tiring. It can be weary. We started out with one service, and things are going well, and we're growing. We go to two services, and now all of a sudden my Sunday morning just got really long. And now we've got half the people to do children's ministry, and now we need and there's all these things happening like, Lord, what's going on here? But God never promises a life free of suffering. Never promises. When we came to Christ, it wasn't on the assumption that life would just become easy and fun and nice and carefree. That's never been promised to us. 
If you've, if, if you've been promised that when you came to Christ, that someone told you, you know what? Life will get so easy. It'll be fun and carefree. God's going to work all your problems out in your life. It's not true. God actually promises the opposite. Jesus actually said himself in John 16, he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't promise to somehow get us out of all of our troubles. What he promises is to be with us in the middle of them. That even in the middle of hardship and trial, and serving, and giving, and pouring your life out, he says, I'm going to be with you in the middle of it all. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forget about you. I will always be with you. How that must have served Paul in prison. For him to think, man, what is going on in my life but to know that Christ Jesus is right there with him in prison. The next thing we see is in verse 4, it's talking about the mystery of Christ. And this isn't the main point, but I also want to make this point, the side note. He says in verse 5 that it's revealed by the Spirit. This mystery of Christ has been revealed by the Spirit. There was this revelation of this mystery of Christ Jesus revealed to what he says, the apostles and prophets that was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. And for us today, this is the same way in which Christ Jesus is revealed to us. It's through the Holy Spirit. God works in his spirit to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And it's almost like sitting in a classroom where you're in the classroom and everyone around you is kind of like getting what the teacher's saying. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, I get it. And you're sitting there like, hey, I don't get this. This is, this is really bad. Everyone understands. I don't understand. Okay, I don't know if anyone's been there, but that's, that's my experience, like going through all of school. I didn't get it. Well, it can be like that way sometimes. And often the light goes on. You're in class and the teacher's trying to explain algebra to you. And everyone's getting it except you, but then all of a sudden the light comes on. Oh, I get it. That's how it works. It's like that with the Holy Spirit, where we may hear something over and over and over again. You may be reading your Bible a million times, but all of a sudden that one time the lights come on. And now I understand it. Now I get it. Ah, that's what's being said. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus Christ to us. Jesus said in John 15, he says, The Spirit bears witness about Christ. And he also says that we will be, the, we will be his witnesses. So we tell other people about Christ Jesus, but then it's the Holy Spirit at work that reveals and turns the light on for people. We can't somehow coax someone into the kingdom of God or somehow <laughs> manipulate people with a smooth argument and well-crafted ideas to somehow... Get people into the kingdom of God. That's the work of the Spirit alone. We present truth. We present what the Word of God says. But in the end, it's the, it's the Spirit of God that reveals Jesus Christ to people and turns the light on so they can understand the truth of God's Word. All right. Those are side notes. Let's get into what he's actually saying in the main points of the text here. Okay, verse 6. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
He says this. He says three things about this mystery. He says, he basically summarizes the points he's already made in the previous two chapters, okay? So in this, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you three things about this mystery, but I'm just going to tell you the things I just already told you. So I'm going to kind of summarize them for you. And he says this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus. And what he's doing here is he's tearing down the argument that church is somehow a, a country club kind of experience for people. That we come to church as people who maybe have grown up in church and have been a part of church for a long time. And it's about me. It's about me getting blessed, me getting served, me kind of like having this comfortable bubble of, of other Christians around me that I can somehow just kind of come into and kind of live my life. It's this country club mentality. He says, look, guys, you have to understand something. He says, as a church, there's people who don't know Christ right now, but need to know Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ Jesus to people. He's going to use you to tell them about Jesus. And it's the work of the Spirit to reveal Jesus to them. But he says, you know what? They're fellow heirs. There can be a mentality in some churches. And God forbid if it ever becomes said of us, that we're just like this closed community of just Christians that we don't let anyone else in. That we're just about ourselves. We don't want our, we don't want to be around those, those wicked sinners outside because they're going to get us dirty and they're going to play with my kids and they're going to, they're going to be bad influence on everyone. And we're going to be torn apart by these evil people. He says this in Ephesians 1 14. I believe this is what he was referencing when he said this, going back to 1 14, he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to, when we trust in Christ Jesus for our salvation, believing that he died in our place, gave his life for us in my place. This is we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says not just for people who've been in church for a long time, who then somehow get the Holy Spirit. It happens when at the point of conversion, when we trust in Christ Jesus, For our salvation, we get the Holy Spirit and the blessings of the kingdom of God because of it. You could have lived a life of complete hostility and defiance against God. You could have followed, or you could have followed Christ from a young age. Yet we are all accepted equally into God's family by the blood of Jesus Christ because he died for us. It reminds me of Ryan and Jocelyn who are adopting three brothers from Nicaragua. Melios Beto and, and Melios Beto and Rosendo, and the adoption just got a, the adoption from Nicaragua just got approved by the government, which is a huge deal. It's a big deal. But when these boys come into Ryan and Jocelyn's family for adoption, these boys get full sonship, full rights, full full rights to Ryan and Jocelyn. They're not second class citizens into Ryan and Jocelyn's family. It's like when Ryan and Jocelyn have, have a, a child, that this child is kind of like family A, and then the boys are family B because they kind of came along later. Full sonship into the family. Full rights to Ryan and Jocelyn in their life and in all the blessings that come with that. And it's the same way saying, guys, look, there's people outside the church who have not heard this message of Christ Jesus. And he's speaking to a church that may have been 
made up of primarily Jewish people we don't know at the time, and saying, guys, look, you need to understand something. This message of Christ Jesus is for everybody. It's not just for those who have grown up in the church or in the synagogue or whatever. This message is for everybody. This is good news for everybody. He also says this, number two, that they're members together, members of the same body. I think he's referencing back to Ephesians 2.16 that says this, and might reconcile us both to God, talking about Christ, that Christ might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And here we are, knit together as one body. We're not just God's children, but we're brothers and sisters together. There's a difference there. We're not just... God's my father and God happens to be your father. He says, no, that knits us together as one family. When I married Michelle, I just didn't get Michelle. It wasn't like now just my relationship's only with Michelle. My relationship's with the whole family. And I know I've told you guys before, but her family's this Hispanic family and everybody is just loving on each other and kissing each other and hugging each other. It's just big love fest every time we see each other. And where I grew up, if I were to kiss an aunt, Man, it would be weird and awkward and people would just, oh, it'd just be it'd just gross, you know? And so for me to show up at the family and just kind of, well, this is the way I've always done things, guys. Don't you understand? I grew up in a culture that we didn't, like, kiss each other and hug each other. I'm just going to kind of go sit in the other room by myself Will you guys kind of get the love fest going on and let me know when it's over so we can eat, Right? <laughs> When I married Michelle, I got a whole, a whole new family as well. And now I had the opportunity to participate, whether I was going to participate or not. And we've all got in our family somewhere, you go to the family cookout or you go to the family party for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and you've got the one uncle who sits in the, in the TV room watching football the whole time and doesn't like hang out with anybody. They got their own thing going on. And everyone now is thinking, okay, who's that one uncle? Because everyone's got one, right? And it's probably a son sitting next to him who's also antisocial, kind of doing his own thing too, right? But it can be like that in church as well. Hey, you know what? You know what? I like church, and it's good for me, and I connect with God, and God, we got this, me and God got this thing going on together. But it doesn't necessarily have an effect on my relationship with other people. It's just me and God. That's what's most important, right? But we have to understand is that when we got connected to God, that we're members together, we're members of the same body, that we're connected to one another as well, that we're brothers and sisters, that we not only connect to God, but we connect to specific people in God's family, right where you are at right now. And so I think about life share groups. Life share group is an, is, is an awesome way to connect your life to other people in the church. We can only connect so much on a Sunday morning we have an hour, hour and a half to, to worship God and to, to say hi to one another. But if we really want to get to know each other and pray with one another and challenge each other and do all the things that the family of God is called to do, it's got to be bigger than just a Sunday morning. It's got to be done primarily, I believe, in life share group. That's why we make it so important. If you are not a part of a life share group and you want to experience the life of God you need to get plugged in right away. You need to get involved. You need to, ser- you need to serve into this. You need to come ready. You know, I've talked to people who say, you know what? Life share group is, is okay, but no one prays. And, and no one's, 
No one's, you know, reaching out to anyone else. And my question for that person, I remember I was talking to this person, I said, are you doing those things? Well, no, but no one else is either. So I'm like, well, then go do that. You want to see a life share group that's full of the life of God? Then you need to get on it and go do it. God's revealing this to you for a reason. You need to not just be a consumer, but participate with it and get involved. All right. Not only that, not only are we members together, but we're also partakers in the promise. Verse 6 says that. Now, I believe he's referencing back to Ephesians 1.13. This is what 1.13 says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. We're partakers in the promise. And he says this, it's through the gospel. It's through the gospel that we're partakers of this. It's not praying the right prayers. It's not praying enough prayers, it's not reading the Bible enough that we partake in this promise. It's not going to church your whole life. It's not, it's not doing all these things that we would think would kind of earn us some favor with God. That now I can partake in the promises of God because I've done some really good things in my life. I give, I give to some missionaries and, and I really try to reach out to my neighbors and I, I really try to pray and have a quiet time every morning. And therefore, I, I, somehow I get some favor with God because I've done all these good things. I mean, look at my life. It's, it's really lined up with the word of God. But what he says in this verse, he says, we're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. He says this, it's through the gospel. That's the only way it's done. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we believe that Christ Jesus died in our place for the, the punishment that we deserved for our sins that we've committed against God, we say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you died for my sins, for me, for what I've done in rebellion against you. That something amazing happens. that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and brought into God's family. The promises of God are opened up to us. And we're now part of what God's called us to do. So we're not only united to each other, but we're united to God. And I want to read you guys this quote from John Stott. He writes this, in referencing this, this passage, he says, But what neither the Old Testament nor Jesus revealed was the radical nature of God's plan, which was that the theocracy, the Jewish nation under God's rule, it would be terminated and replaced by a new international community, the church, that this church would be the body of Christ, organically united to him, and that Jews and Gentiles would be incorporated into Christ and his church on equal terms without any distinction. There's not two classes of people in the church. There's not two kinds of people that come to Christ. He says, we're all united together in Christ. Equal terms without any distinction. And it was this complete union of Jews, Gentiles, and Christ, which was radically new, and which God revealed to Paul, overcoming his entrenched Jewish prejudice. So there's been a double union that not only are we united to Christ, but we're now united to one another. One of the reasons we planted Mercy Hill 
Because we believe that this is true. That not only is God uniting people to himself, but he's uniting us together. That God is the one at work doing these things. And that people from far away can hear this message of the gospel. And through the message of this gospel, that people would be united and brought near to God. And that God could have a relationship with them. So as I begin to think about this, I'm like, well, let me ask you. The person sitting next to you, is that person an inconvenience or a brother and sister? Who's the church for? Who's the church about? And if God desires us to interact and unite on this level, and we don't see that in our own lives, are we rejecting God's plan for our lives? This is a good chance for you to evaluate, what's the substance of my relationships within the church and without the church? What's, what's, my, what's the substance of my relationships? Do I see this in my life? All right. I got to speed on ahead here. Um, let's read Ephesians 3, 7 through 13. We're going to move on. Paul talks about mystery number two here, but this is what he says in 7 through 13. He says, Of this gospel, the one we were just talking about, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So here in mystery number two, as he talks about, is this, that God's plan to reveal Christ's use to the world is done through the church. It's through the church. So it's hidden for ages. And verse 11, it's according to the eternal purpose. This has God's, God, been God's plan A all along. God didn't have a plan B of revealing Christ's use to the world. His plan was that through the church, it would be made known to the world. And he says that's been his eternal plan all along. That's why it's been a mystery. No one could have figured this out. No one could have sat down and thought, Almighty God will join Jew and Gentile, which have been apart for, for, since the beginning of, you know, since Abraham, and, and bring them together and now reveal one person, one body of Christ to the world. That's why it was a mystery. But what he says in verse 10 is this. He said, the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. Now, if when Paul was reading the Bible that he was reading at the time, the, this word manifold would have been used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. So we remember in the Old Testament, Joseph was, was, was one of the 12 sons of Israel. And Israel gave him this coat of many colors. And it was, it was beautiful. And his brothers were all jealous. And it was like this, this amazing coat. And so God, in this passage, Paul's writing, says, look, 
in the same way this manifold, this multidimensional, this deep, this beautiful church is God's revelation to the world of what he wants. It's like a beautiful diamond that sparkles and holds your attention. And so that's what we're, we plan to do. We think, Lord, let's be this manifold wisdom of God revelation to people. You know what? I was just thinking about this as well. That's why there's no Lone Ranger Christians. If we as God's people united together are God's manifold wisdom of the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world, how can one person be the manifold wisdom revelation to the world? One person alone can't be that. There's no superhuman, manifold wisdom Christians walking around the earth that says, you want to see God's revelation to the world? Look at me. It's all me. It's my life. I am like amazing. Therefore, you can see God. That's why God puts us together as a body because there's so much depth, so much wisdom, so much power in that. And that through that, through our being united as a church, people will see Jesus Christ. Okay. All right, so here's the three implications for our church. If we want to be this kind of manifold wisdom of God, revelation to the world of what Christ Jesus can do in us, I believe there's three implications for us. Number one, that there's no spectators, that we're all on the field. I wrote this sermon two weeks ago, and I wrote this. It'd be like LeBron James showing up to the game and asking for some rest. It's really been a hard week. And I thought... That did happen. <laughs> so um, scratch LeBron James. That actually was quite prophetic when I wrote it, I guess. Um, let's put Steve Nash in his place, okay? It's like Steve Nash showing up to the game and asking for some rest. It's been a hard week. Phil Jackson's been a little bit tough on me. He said some mean things about me carrying the ball, and so I just need a break. People would think that's ridiculous. He's part of this team. He's an integral part of this team. Then when he doesn't play his part, the rest of the team suffers. That everyone else loses out because he doesn't play his part. In the same way, God has brought you and put you in a church. You have an important part to play. When you show up and say, you know what? I just need to be blessed and fed and I'm going to kind of be on my way. We're doing, we're doing what maybe LeBron would have done in what is that, game five or six, whatever, and he didn't play so well. That we wouldn't be those kinds of Christians. We wouldn't be the kind of person that just kind of like, it's, it's, it's just about me getting fed. But we'd play our part as God intended us to do. Number two, our participation in church is not casual, but it's purposeful. Not casual, but purposeful. And this is what I mean by that. That we can stay up real late on Saturday night. We can kind of roll out of bed on Sunday morning, kind of walk into church, half awake, Okay, that was a good message. I may sing a couple songs and kind of be on my way. That's not how I would think we would approach the, if this is, the, is so important for our lives, or even life share group, or other relationships with, with Christians in our lives that God's put with us, that we be purposeful about these things. That we consider maybe before Sunday morning, we spend some time waiting on God and saying, God, give me something to share with someone today. Give me a verse to bring. Give me an encouragement to, to, to bring to someone. Help me be awake during the sermon. Help me to be awake during the worship. I want to come ready. I want to be ready. One of the things I always say, and I'll say it again, Sunday morning starts on Saturday night. We've got to consider if this is this important, what do I have going on on Saturday night that would keep me from participating in the life of God? Number three, that we're not disconnected but connected. And I kind of went on about this importance of that. 
You know what? Again, Life Share Group is incredibly important for this, for us to stay connected, for us to stay in relationship with one another. All right. So let me ask you this. Where are your priorities? When you think about your life and the priorities and the commitments you've made, whether it be to Little League or to soccer or your friends or to a sports team, what are your priorities? Is, is the purposes of God in your life a priority? When we read God's word and it talks about the church being the display of God's manifold wisdom to the world. Is that on par with the priority we've put on the church? If God is so impassioned for his body, says, this is what is most important to me. Man, I want the world to see Jesus. It's going to be done through the church. Do we think, yes, Lord, that's my priority as well? Or does it kind of fall down the line with family, family commitments and, and all these other things going on in my life? I would challenge you today, evaluate your hearts. Ask God to say, Lord, is this my priority? Is this where I'm at? Are these the things that I've made important in my life? Are the people in, that you've put in my life, am I connected and committed to them? Do I participate and prepare for church? And if we haven't, we need to ask God to change our hearts. Ask God to do a work. Say, God, I want that in my life. God, if this is this important to you, let it be so in my own heart, in my own life. That is my priority. If you're here today and you're visiting from another church, man, you need to go back and you need to get plugged in and you need to serve your brains out in that church. You need to bless those people around you. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm not part of any church. I'm just kind of showed up and, you know, I, I just, you know, just kind of checking some things out. Man, we just, we'd welcome you here. We'd love for you to be a part of what God is doing here and tell you about how amazing Jesus Christ is. But if you are committed here and you are connected here, I want you to seriously evaluate your life. Because there's people here this morning that feel like, you know what, I feel disconnected from Mercy Hill or from whatever church, from Cross Point. If you're from Cross Point, I think, God, you've, you've brought means in my life to connect me to other people. I want to use whatever you've given me to get plugged in for your glory so that Jesus Christ would be made known to the world. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we ask you this morning, God, that you would search our hearts. God, that you would reveal areas in our life that we need to reprioritize for your glory. And God, whether they, they are good things or they're just okay things, God, I pray that we would understand your calling to us as your body to represent Jesus Christ to the world. And I pray that you would not only help us to to understand, Lord, but help us be people of action. Help us to consider and take seriously, God, your call on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.